2: there's no such thing as a free lunch at least when the government is involved and that would apply to breakfast too and it would also apply to an award that we give out here every week and now it's time for the jerk of the week starring john steigerwald The governor of Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, promised during the campaign last year that he would provide school vouchers for kids to escape from the worst schools in the state. I think it was the bottom 15 percent. And then when it was time to approve a budget, he said he would veto any proposal by the the Republicans to try to make him fulfill that promise. And then came this tweet from him just a couple of days ago. Quote, how can we expect kids to learn math, science, and English when they haven't eaten anything all day, we can't. So I promised we'd fund universal free breakfast for every public school student, and that's exactly what we did. Unquote. Of course, how do you expect them to learn when they have uh, when they're in a terrible school that you know sends kids out uh, as graduates who read at a fifth grade level. But anyway, then he did a, a photo op with a bunch of kids, and he tweeted this. Quote, "...because of our bipartisan budget, universal free breakfast is now a reality for every public school student in Pennsylvania. I joined just a few of the 1.8 million students that will benefit from this to celebrate in Pittsburgh today." Unquote. So instead of fulfilling a promise to help poor kids get out of schools that make it more likely that they won't be able to afford breakfast in the future, he comes up with a free bowl of cereal and an orange for him and tells them they should be happy. Here's what else Governor Shapiro can tell them. He's the AM 1250. The answer jerk of the week. When we come back, a book about a Barack Obama six years ago. Was all over the Internet this week because of some of the items that were ignored by the media back then and then were made public. And we'll talk to the author of that book, Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama. His name is David Garrow. And in our second half hour, we'll talk about the, uh, the, the special counsel appointed by the Biden Justice Department to investigate Biden's son. And it stinks to high heaven. Stick around. David Garrow was a history and law professor at Pitt. He's written a Pulitzer Prize-winning book about Martin Luther King, which he came on the show to talk about here a few years ago. He also wrote a book about Barack Obama back in 2017 called Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama. And that book has gotten a ton of attention this week. David Garrow joins us now. Dave, thanks for coming on again. Appreciate it.
1: Certainly, John.
2: So um, if I would have been doing a show back in 2017... I would have had you on to talk about the Obama book, but I, this show—it's only been on the air for five years—but uh, I missed that one. But you did write that book uh, six years ago. Why is it getting so much attention this week? I'm seeing you all over the internet and seeing quotes from the book and everything.
1: Uh, tablet Magazine, uh, which is a—it a, was in part Jewish-focused magazine. Uh, ran a long, long interview with me by a well well known journalist named David Samuels. Um, <clears throat> he came here to Squirrel Hill uh, almost a year ago to do that. Um, we actually recorded it in uh, september twenty twenty two uh, but that came out uh, what eight days ago now, um, and Samuels had me talk about the Obama book in particular, um, but also um, talked about my you know writing on Dr. King. Um, My big history of uh, uh, abortion rights litigation leading up to Roe v. Wade, uh, Supreme Court stuff. So um, it's very long. Uh, Their webpage is tabletmag.com. And so that ended up uh, having a a footprint uh, way larger than uh, I certainly ever imagined. Um, He's told me since then that it's gotten hundreds of thousands of readers.
2: Yeah, and as I said, it's everywhere, all over the internet. I don't know where I saw it, but um, you know, when I saw your name, I remembered you being on the show talking about the, the King book, and that's why I called you. I'm glad you did the show; you were able to do it. But as I said, we, we weren't doing this show in, in 2017, uh, and I would have obviously if, if uh, you know I had been doing it. But anyway, back in 2017, how was it received? The book, I mean.
1: Oh. I- I was very happy uh, with the reception. It made the New York Times uh, bestseller list. Um, The Washington Post named it one of the ten best books of of 2017. Um, Some people, uh, I believe, think it didn't get as much attention as it should have. But that was, you know, four months after uh, Obama had left office and uh, you know he'd pretty much vanished from view then, and and you know a hundred percent of the focus was, uh, of course, on Donald Trump.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the media would not have been all that interested in publicizing anything negative about Barack Obama. I mean, most of the media, anyway. Um, it's not a book that's
1: hostile towards uh, Barack at all. Mm-hmm. Um. I think Obama was an extremely impressive figure uh, up through, uh, you know, when he's in the U.S. Senate and and running for for, uh, the presidency. Um, But just in the epilogue to the book, um, it, it, you know, briefly but, but honestly addresses how, you know, frankly, underwhelming uh... the obama presidency turned out to be uh... if we think back to those scenes of of uh... you know uh... unimaginable joy uh... you know in grant park in chicago for example yeah. the night he was first elected Um so he he went into office with uh... a set of expectations uh... you know both in terms of of what people how people expected him to you know, solve Race, you know, racial tensions in the U.S. for all time uh, that, you know, simply couldn't be met, could could not have been met.
2: Yeah, this is a, um, a book, uh, it's called The Making of Barack Obama, so you did a lot of research into his early life. What did you find maybe that went counter to the image that we either have of him now or people might have had of him back when the book came out in 2017?
1: Um. Barack, when he was uh, a state legislator in Illinois, um, was very serious and very successful uh, at working with extremely conservative Republicans. Um, his ability to do that was, was a major part of, of why he was a, a successful sta- you know, state senator there in Illinois. Uh, you know, in contrast, uh, once he becomes president, um, he's so standoffish towards congressional Republicans Uh, You know, that he's not even inviting them to the White House, Uh, whereas in in Springfield, Illinois, the state capitol, you know, he was going out drinking with them once a week um, and playing cards. Um, And, uh, you know, I was sort of mystified that the skills he'd had back there in Illinois, uh, you know, seemed to have been been left behind uh, when he got to Washington.
2: We're talking to Dave Garrow. He's the uh, author of a book called uh, that he wrote back in uh, 2017 called Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama, but it's um, been getting a lot of attention this week. Uh, So why was it important to talk to his former girlfriends? And that would get us to, I think, the part of the uh, interview that you did about the book that maybe caused the biggest spark and maybe why you and I are having a conversation today
1: yeah i'm i'm you know in in part bemused by this because you know everything that's you know been you know on the internet this last 8 days has you know has been in print in in the you know paperback edition of the book for over 5 years um but you know it it's it's you know standard for an academic historian like me um you know to try to you know track down and speak with everyone uh you know who who knew well and worked with someone um, you know, that's what I did with my Martin Luther King book, uh, you know, back from 1979 to 1985, uh, you know, and, and we didn't have the web to, uh, you know, find people's, uh, you know, addresses, uh, you know, yeah. or email addresses, yeah. uh, you know, in 1980. Um, so I, I spoke with hundreds of people uh, for the King book. And for the Obama book, I ended up speaking with over 1,000 people. Um, that number gets uh, gets up there easily because um, I spoke with a lot of Barack's uh, fellow students from Harvard Law School. He spent 1988 to 1991 at Harvard Law School. And most anyone who was at Harvard Law School, you know, a Harvard Law School graduate, you can, you know, find on the web with, uh, you know, two clicks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and. Similarly, uh, you know, Barack taught uh, very successfully uh, in the law school at the University of Chicago uh, for, you know, 10, 12 years. And so I made the effort to track down a a good uh, selection, um, you know, scores and scores um, of his former students, uh, particularly black students who who took a, a race in the law seminar with him back in the 1990s. Um, You know, people don't think of Barack as an academic, but even when he was in law school, he and his closest friend, Rob Fisher, a white economist uh, who's five years older than Barack, has uh, been at the Securities and Exchange Commission for a good number of years. Uh, Robin Barack um, uh, co-authored several hundred pages of a proposed book manuscript. Um, There was a, a very prominent New York Times feature uh, we can review feature about a year ago or maybe ten months ago on on that now um, but that was a a you know finding Rob Fisher and having Rob find those draft chapters that he and, and Barack wrote together um, you know it 's quite striking you know that you can find this you know a hundred pages of, of unpublished writings by a, a future president yeah. and so finding uh all three of of barack 's uh, you know, serious major girlfriends uh, prior to his his marriage to Michelle, uh, you know, was just part of of the sort of standard operating procedure uh, for a historian like me.
2: And and so, of course, what's come out from that, what's getting the most attention, I guess, now, unfortunately, I guess, but not surprisingly, um, is that he said in a letter to one of these girlfriends that he had fantasized often about having sex with men. Have you gotten pushback on the ver- uh, veracity of that, or have oh, you? Oh got- no, not at all. No? I
1: mean, the original—the uh, original of that letter is in the uh, uh, archives uh, of Emory University now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the young lady to whom Barack sent that letter in November of 1982—he was 21 years old at that time—she um, had shown me all of his letters to her. But she held back this one paragraph uh, saying, you know, it's too sensitive, it's about homosexuality. And then after the hardback of Rising Star came out in 2017, uh, she let me know that she had sold the letters up to Emory, and Emory announced that they had the letters. Uh, there was a story in the Atlanta paper, a story in the New York Times, about Emory acquires these letters. But those stories made no mention of, of the you know previously withheld paragraph. Uh, and so I asked one of my oldest friends, Harvey Clare, a, a quite distinguished historian of American communism who's taught at Emory for close to 50 years, um, I asked Harvey to go have a look at it. Now they wouldn't let you know even a you know senior professor at their own university make a copy of it. So Harvey had to uh, you know copy down uh, the previously withheld paragraph you know by you know hand with you know pencil and paper. Yep. Um, and so we we were able to add uh, that language to the paperback edition of Rising Star. So it wasn't in the hardback. Right, but but it's in the paperback, which mm-hmm. came out in May of 2018.
2: Oh, okay. And so, it, what? What exact Why is that important, or not important, or how important was it? Is it in the context of the book itself? Is oh, it just a I, mention. I don't,
1: think, I don't think it's especially important at all. I mean, uh, you know, John, I'm a historian, not a psychologist, right. but as I uh said to one of my neighbors uh, on the street a few hours ago uh uh you know uh, we we both have the impression that uh, the vast majority of human beings uh you know have have fantasies i don't <laughs> think that's uh, uh, particularly striking news mm-hmm. um you know but but for me as as a uh you know uh exceptionally thorough uh you know document oriented historian uh, you know, the notion that, that you're going to show me 99% of something and tell me I can't see the other 1%, uh, you know, when when I then find out that the missing 1% is available, uh, you know, well, I want to see it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, why do you suppose, the, and we're talking to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, David Garrow about his book uh, written back in 2017. It's called um, Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama. Why do you suppose the media weren't more curious about that back then, or was it because it just wasn't that prominent in the book?
1: Uh, it's you know it, it, it's it's uh, you know two to three sentences uh, you know changed between the hardback and, and the paperback. Mm-hmm. It was one uh, uh, conservative website uh, that that wrote a piece about it. I couldn't even off the top of my head tell you the name of the website. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know it i you know it's not that you know neither myself nor harper collins uh you know sent out a press release about it i mean we didn't think yeah. it was you know that you know that decisive
2: uh, what do you think about the reaction to it today What what you're well, seeing I'm, out there am
1: I'm, I'm, I'm bemused by the fact that You know, something can have been in print for over five years, and there are, you know, thousands of copies of it out there. (laughs) And then only, uh, you know, here we are in August of 2023, uh, you know, does today's news media decide to discover it. Um, You know, that's, uh, uh, you know, it it leaves me, uh, you know, sort of bemused at how the news gets uh, uh, produced.
2: Well, let me ask you this. Um, since it is out there now more than it was when you wrote the book six years ago, is it f- fair game it, the next time he does a sit-down interview with somebody to ask him about that? Uh,
1: I, uh, access to Barack Obama is so tightly controlled uh, that I frankly wouldn't envision barack doing an interview with anyone who would have the moxie to ask him that um you know even when he was president um you know they were they were very choosy uh you know in in which washington reporters um you know they they would uh you know allow to to speak with him
2: this is a guy who actually has or had two names uh, pretty complicated childhood a lot of moving around the world did he succeed in creating a false character named Barack Obama? Was it a was it a, a conscious effort by him to create some kind of a a persona that would turn him into what he ended up becoming?
1: All through his childhood, up up till when he gets to college, um, all of his friends call him Barry. Yeah, um, and it's it's part of his. Uh, acceptance uh, of his missing father, uh, Barack Obama Sr., uh, that when he's in college, he, he makes the decision to become Barack rather than Barry. You know, Barry sounds a little, uh, this is my word for it, maybe immature as a nickname. Uh, so I don't think it's astonishing that, that someone would, you know, as a you know, 21, 22-year-old, you know, revert yeah. to their given name. Well, it
2: worked for Barry Goldwater. I I just That's a very very good point. Um,
1: I just thought I threw that in. It popped
2: into my head. Sorry.
1: Yeah, (laughs) no, um, but when, you know, the the first time Barack is ever in a majority black uh, social context is when he goes to Chicago in in 1985, um, you know, at age 24, uh, to start working as a community organizer on the far south side. Um, prior to then, you know, in, in Hawaii and a few years in Indonesia, all his time in college, um, you know, his friendship network is, is multiracial, multicultural, uh, a lot of, of friends from, you know, overseas, uh, the Middle East, I mean, the Persian Gulf, Europe, um, and it's only those three years working in Chicago, 85 to 88, that really begin uh, Barack's uh, identification uh, and 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 uh, uh, you know sort of uh, embrace uh, of of black American life.
2: I got about less than a minute. Was he born in Kenya?
1: No, he was, born, he was born in Honolulu, Hawaii, and there's, there's never been any doubt about that.
2: Okay, and last thing, I want to give you a chance. To, the name of the book about Obama is The Making of Barack Obama, A Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama. You've amazing stuff in your Martin Luther King book also. You won a Pulitzer Prize for that. What's the name of that book? People want to check it out.
1: Sure, Bearing the Cross.
2: I really appreciate having you on, uh, Dave, and hope to have you on again. Thank you. Good to talk with you, John. Thank you. Okay, that's uh, David Garrow, and you can see the book, Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama. Check it out. I think what they call it in uh, the radio business is breaking news, and there was big news this afternoon uh, down in Washington. The uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland named a special counsel in the uh, tax probe of Hunter Biden. And who he named is kind of interesting. And we thought it would be a good idea to get uh, Fred Lucas on to talk about it. He's the chief news correspondent and manager of the investigative reporting project at the uh, Daily Signal. Fred, thanks for coming on on short notice. I appreciate it.
3: Uh, Thanks for having me.
2: So the guy that, uh, well, first of all, let's start with this. Merrick Garland uh, naming anybody. Is that a was that a shock? A surprise?
3: Uh, Well, yeah, I I think so. I mean, he'd resisted for such a long time uh, in naming a special counsel to this case. Uh, According to the IRS whistleblowers, David Weiss had asked to be a special counsel so he could uh, prosecute in other jurisdictions. At the same time, David Weiss or at least his team had. Uh, lowered a lot of uh, potential felonies down to misdemeanors had uh, tipped off Hunter Biden about search warrants um, and prohibited uh, further questions in the Joe Biden. Uh, So, um, I I mean, there there were a lot of problems. And, and, and of course, his team orchestrated this uh, joke of a plea deal that was so outrageous that the federal judge threw it out. So, I, I, I mean... This brings up a lot of questions why of all people would he name the same prosecutor who is who has been involved in this already which is David Weiss, the um US attorney from Delaware.
2: Yeah, does that make it worse? At least as far as the the uh, the Democrats and the media will give him a pass they could have, he could have named anybody he wanted but um yeah. from the from a political standpoint oh, uh, yeah. the Republicans are all over this.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean the, well, the Democrats, um, uh, well, they, they've been kind of low, low, low key on this. But uh, Democrats have so far said, "Oh, well, this is a Trump appointed prosecutor." Uh, well, this was a, a yeah, uh, Donald Trump did appoint this, um David Weiss in December 2017. He was confirmed unanimously in uh, February 2018. Um, but he was also uh, base. He, he was also basically endorsed by the. Delaware's two Democratic senators. So uh, it's, it's not like this is a Republican attack dog or anything like that. So, so that's going to be a Democratic spin. But, yeah, I, I think for, for Democrats to say, well, this was a Trump-appointed prosecutor, that worked, and that might have made sense to make that case before the outrageous plea deal had been made and before the allegations from the IRS whistleblowers. Right now, there's... Um, Putting David Weiss in the case as special counsel is not going to really move the ball or advance increased confidence for anybody yes. uh, as far as how impartial this is being done and whether the Justice Department can move forward impartially. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the point of uh, putting a special prosecutor in place is yeah. partly at least to uh, – Um, relieved the public's perceptions about how politicized the DOJ is. And, you know, David Weiss, he's sort of shown his cards when he put out the the original plea deal.
2: Yeah, so the idea of – I always thought that a special counsel, the idea was to get somebody not connected to the administration in power who could come in and at least – uh, present the appearance
3: of neutrality yeah right, right right and uh and and they they could have picked maybe any almost any other u.s attorney uh that could have done this what's interesting here is uh, uh david weiss is going to keep his job as a u.s attorney from delaware um that in and of itself is a little bit odd because he's um he's almost conflicted there, right? I mean, he's uh, he's still a regular employee of the Justice Department at a time when he's supposed to be carrying out a somewhat independent investigation.
2: And you mentioned the the plea deal that everybody was laughing at, including, I think, well, I don't know if the Democrats are doing it publicly, but they have to behind closed doors. They know it's ridiculous. And so do the media. But um, what? how is this tied in with that? And what does this do to... The negotiations for another plea deal, which is, I thought, what they were what they were doing since the the last yeah, the first um, one was turned down.
3: That's 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 a big question mark too. I mean, I I thought about that myself, uh, and I hope folks will read my story on the Daily dot com uh, about this uh, situation. But yeah, uh, I don't think we know yet. they supposedly both sides went back to the drawing board. Uh, my suspicion is that. Um, that might be off the table for a little while because, according to Merrick Garland, David Weiss asked him on Tuesday, this week, uh, if uh, if he could be a special counsel. He felt like there were too many issues that have come up. uh, And this week, Merrick Garland granted him that wish. Uh, So in that sense, uh, I mean, it sounds like the Justice Department is not uh, in the process of you know, going to the table and making a deal. Now, what could happen to I me, mean, I, I presented a pretty pessimistic case based on what we know so far. Uh, what is conceivably could happen uh, going forward is that David Wyeth uh, will feel rather uh, humiliated by, by some of the political interference that did happen and, and the plea deal that he put forward and uh we might see a much more aggressive prosecutor uh, uh from somebody who wants to restore his own reputation. Yeah. Uh, we might potentially and uh, I'm putting a a positive look on this after after giving you the negative case, uh we could conceivably see somebody who will look into a lot of the facts that have already been unearthed by the House Oversight Committee that looks into uh ties to President Biden. And uh and uh, most of those ties go back to uh, the vice presidency. But um, as you might remember, very recently, there was, uh, we've seen a case where uh, uh, someone who purchased Hunter Biden's art uh, turned around and they got an appointment to a federal commission uh, that works with Eastern Europe. So, yeah. so we all know that Hunter Biden has pretty deep business ties in Eastern Europe.
2: Well, yeah, the appointment comes, as you point out in your piece, and we're we're talking to Fred Lucas of The Daily Signal. You can see the piece at thedailysignal.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does come uh, a few days after the House Oversight Committee uh, released mm-hmm. the bank records that show Joe Biden's family going all the way down to his grandkids uh, yeah. bringing in $20 million from foreign uh, countries, exactly. foreign well, individuals that that's a is that a uh, that that doesn't i don't think that has a good look to it
3: no no th- it does not at all and um uh yeah and th- the are you know foreign entities uh that that have been working with and 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 again that that goes back to the vice presidency uh the hunter biden art deal recently that that we learned about uh actually ties to the presidency of joe biden so so i i think that's where it could get interesting um so you know, I mean, there is always a chance that uh, David Weiss will expand this and start looking into the Joe Biden White House, or at least things were for things stood with Joe Biden's presidency or vice presidency too. Uh, also, uh, we did learn that uh, Weiss and his team were made aware of the uh, bribery allegations that, that were uh, put forward in a uh, report from a FBI confidential informant who had talked to Burisma executives uh, who said that they, they um, made a $5 million payment uh, to Joe Biden and in in part to get a prosecutor fired who was looking into the company um, while he was vice president. Uh, And, and, and people are familiar with that uh, speech Joe Biden made in which he bragged about uh, getting the prosecutor fired. So um, I mean, that's that's potentially going to fall under the purview here of uh, this new special prosecutor. But I a bigger concern, I think, and uh, what I think most people are concerned about is maybe the more negative side, which is that there's going to be a lot more stonewalling here. It's going to give the, the Biden administration a, an excuse to say, well, to Congress, well, we can't hand over these documents because – that's a part of an ongoing investigation with yep. the Justice Department. Yep. And, uh, I mean, it's just going to be um, – and it could drag on for a really long time. Um, I mean, we remember recent history, the um, uh, Durham investigation went on for a long time. Mm-hmm. The Mueller investigation went on for a long time. Neither of those were very transparent. Uh, I mean, if you, I guess, I guess uh, one thing, if you want to give Jack Smith some credit <laughs> – he probably moved warp speed as far as special counsels go because, yeah. uh, more, more recent uh, as far as indictments of Trump, more recent experience of uh, special counsels is that they plod along, um, sometimes, uh, so and 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 the public never knows what they're up to. And, am- and and I think this is going to be used maybe to obstruct, con- yeah. uh, investigation by Congress.
2: Yeah, what's amazing is that the special counsel, the investigation that hurts donald trump they moved along pretty quickly the one that's helping him and the (laughs) democrats they're having trouble with it. so we're going to be hearing oh geez i'm sorry you uh, i really like to get into that with you but we can't do that because it's an ongoing investigation i just uh fred you you're, you're down around there all the time and you're you're around these people and talk to them on and off the record i just have this picture of them being shocked that they're um just dishonest, crooked deal to try to get that plea agreement. They were shocked by the fact that it didn't work. It didn't go through. And they went back and they just reconnoitered. And they, I can see them being in a room and saying, okay, what are we going to do now? And somebody said, I'll tell you what we can do. We can make him a special counsel, and that will delay it for a year and a half. We won't have to worry about it. And this is what I see as just imagining myself – is that Joe Biden is thinking, just get me to the election, and I don't care what happens after that because I'm going to pardon him anyway.
3: Uh, very, very possible, uh, just because this is, I mean, you, you do have to look for the, at the fact that uh, David Weiss has been investigating Hunter Biden since 2018. He got nothing. And, right. Well, part of the reason he got nothing was because it looked like the Justice Department intentionally allowed, or uh, under Weiss, Intentionally allowed the statute of limitations to yeah. uh, drop. That's according to the IRS whistleblowers, who said that they could have moved and prosecuted them on felonies much, much quicker, and they just chose not to.
2: So it's all it's all dirty, isn't it? Yeah, it can't. It's just not normal what's going on, and it and could it even be attempted, if not for a compliant, cheerleading media?
3: Well, that's that's a little bit of a problem, yeah, yeah, because, I mean, we have seen uh, just consistently um, I, they, they've wanted to ignore this. And it, I think maybe it's reached this point where it is hard, hard enough to ignore, I mean, because cause we have to ask why now mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, with this appointment. I mean, there's been calls for a special counsel for a really long time. Uh, and the Hunter Biden case. So why now? Uh, but yeah, yeah, it, there there has been a compliant media, um, I, by and large, uh, with with many many exceptions. Uh, the Daily Signal has been uh, covering this pretty aggressively. Uh, other outlets, New York Post has has been uh, kind of leading uh, the charge on this. Uh, but um, but yeah. Uh, and it's unfortunate because I think we would have seen things move along a lot quicker had this been a Republican president, and had it been particularly if Trump came under even half the allegations that were swirling around the President Biden. Well, I, I, I guess
2: we should assume that. I, I don't know if um, if Corrine Jean Pierre has been asked <laughs> about this yet. But you, you have spent some time in the press room. They, they, you're not still banned from there, are you? You got they, did did they? Oh succeed well, uh, at, yeah, you yeah. Mind?
3: As 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 of yesterday, pretty much it's uh, yeah. Uh, my my White House press pass is inactive. So you're not allowed in there. Uh, well, on a contingency basis. Uh, okay. yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. going going forward.
2: Well, anyway, so, I I I just yeah. I I can see. Um, I just go. I just can't imagine somebody coming out and addressing this with anything other than that you'll have to take that up with the Justice Department, or we can't talk about it. That's the only thing we're going to get out of them, right?
3: That, that That's that's pretty much all we've gotten so far, and I think now, now that it's moved into a uh, special counsel, where it sort of allows the Justice Department to say, look, we're being aggressive. We've actually appointed a special counsel on this uh, without, obviously, uh, pointing out the, some a lot of caveats are there with who they appointed as a special counsel.
2: And I think, I, what do you think about this? I, I just think that the average person doesn't pay as much attention to this stuff as maybe you and I do, and they're going to see the headline that they, they've appointed a, a, a special counsel, and a huge uh, part of the, um, the electorate out there is going to give the Biden administration credit and say, Yeah, well there he's yeah. investigating his own son and that uh, boy
3: that's Oh well that's uh, yeah, yeah I mean we we've we've already seen that we've we already seen uh, MSNBC types are saying, Well, he appointed us uh, a Trump appointee as a special prosecutor in the yeah, case, Yeah. Uh which obviously skips over massive context here. Uh this is the yeah, it's a Trump appointee, but it's also a Trump appointee who uh made a, pl- a joke of a plea agreement that was so outlandish that a federal judge threw it out court. Uh, it's, it's a, yeah it was a Trump appointee, but it's also someone who, um, according to IRS whistleblowers did all sorts of, um, did a very shoddy investigation, let the statute of limitations run out. Uh, and, um, tipped off uh, Hunter Biden about search warrants and so forth. So, so yeah, I, it's uh, it, was, it was a bad investigation uh, that we know of. It was a bad deal that they made, and uh, they've let Hunter Biden get away with a lot. Um, what's interesting is that there are a lot of other issues uh, on the periphery that actually lead to the big guy, Joe mm-hmm. Biden, and we'll see if, I, I mean, it is entirely possible that, David Weiss, as I mentioned before, uh, feels like he might want to re- restore his reputation in some way. Uh, that, that, that could be the upside of this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's somewhat hard to imagine, but uh, um, who knows?
2: Yeah. Hey, hey Fred, I, again, I appreciate you coming on on short notice. Thanks. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah glad to. Thanks very much okay. for having me. All
2: right. We'll, be, we'll talk again. That's Fred Lucas. You can find his piece at thedailysignal.com. Hey, it's Friday. Uh, usually on Friday, I like to end with something I, I like to do, and sometimes, or most of the time anyway, I, I try to do like a segment on something other than the usual stuff. It's been entertainment, um, talk about the movies, talk about sports. So uh, the Steelers actually play a football game tonight. They're in Tampa, and they'll be playing against the uh, the Bucks, but the Bucks quarterback, I don't know that he's going to play tonight, is Baker Mayfield. And i I, I just thinking about what. Steelers fans should be looking for or at not in this game necessarily because it's the first game. I don't know how much Kenny Pickett's going to play, but the the talk in camp is that Kenny Pickett's having a great camp, that he's arrived, that he's solidified his position as the starting quarterback. And I I'm rooting for the kid. I liked him at Pitt. I hope he does well. But I think people are might be just slightly overrating what he did last year. He did. Have some games at the end where he uh, did, engineered some good comebacks. He cut down on his interceptions the last seven or eight games, uh, but he, his he was throwing a lot of really safe passes and wasn't really asked to do much. He's going to have to do a lot better. I, I just I just think that the, what to watch is whether or not Kenny Mayfield looks a lot better by the time he does get some playing time here in the preseason. And then obviously at the beginning of the season, but you know, people in Pittsburgh Steelers fans and some of my friends in the media, they like to make fun of Baker Mayfield who may or may not play tonight for Tampa Bay. But this is, this is what um, Baker Mayfield did in his rookie year. He started 13 games. He had uh, 3,700 yards, 27 touchdowns and 14 interceptions on a bad Cleveland team, not bad, but no, well, not terrible, but you know, not very good. And then in his uh, his second full seat, well, third season as a starter, he was eleven and five with twenty six touchdowns and eight interceptions. Here's what I can tell you, and he's bounced around since then. Steelers fans should hope, hope that Kenny Pickett can have the kind of year that Baker Mayfield has already had in the NFL and be as good as he has, he has been at times. That's what I'm watching for, not tonight, but as the season goes along. We'll see how that goes, but he's got to get better. We'll see how it goes tonight. I'll talk to you on Monday.